I gotta say, one of my favorite parts of training on Zwift is the community. Whether it's riding with new people you meet on the platform or riding with old teammates, the people that Zwift connects you with push you harder than you could ever push yourself, let alone when it's just you on the trainer, in your garage, or your pain cave somewhere. My next favorite part is the training. Training is a huge part of Zwift. There are literally hundreds of customizable training plans you can choose from. And every workout is an immersive experience that can take you from Zwift's world-class climbs to the streets of London, New York, and even to a new Japanese-inspired world. Those are just a few of the nine unique worlds you can explore. Many times, I find myself just riding around, checking out the sights and seeing new little Easter eggs they've hidden in the game. When I'm riding on one of the UCI championship courses or in the jungle on the gravel roads or inside a volcano, I'm just taking it all in. Time seems to fly by, but I still manage to get a great workout in every time. If you want to compete in races that put your training to the test and see if you're headed in the right direction, you can. There's a new event starting every five minutes, including massive group rides, races for every category, and time trials. Right now, you can join the Fun is Fast event series with training rides, races, and thousands of other riders from around the world to chase. It's really never been easier to find your fun training indoors. I love it. All you need to get started is a bike, a trainer, and the Zwift app. Get a free seven-day trial, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Zwift, where fun is fast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and over there in Europe somewhere, a little bit injured, I hear, I hear Mr. Jens Vogt. Jens, what's going on with you over there? What happened? Well, I'm on my way to work to do some commentating about the Vuelta España with my colleagues from German Eurosport. And I'm just cruising along on my gravel bike, enjoying the sun perfectly according to the law on the bike path as this cab driver comes from the other side of the road, starts spinning a Huey and somehow wants to turn across my bike path to a parking lot. But then at the parking lot, he had to stop off because of the barrier there to wait for the barrier to lift. And he did not see me coming at all. And by the time I realized he's actually really going across the road to stop in front of me, I just had time to say, shizai. And I <laughs> hit the cap. And as, as I was like sliding across the, what's the front part, the hood or the bonnet? Uh, both. But both. yeah, we call it the hood over here, but the, the bonnet. Hood, yeah. So yeah. I slide across the bonnet and like smashed into the ground in front of the cap. Fortunately, I was standing still. I, you know, I'm retired. I don't crash often anymore. I had completely forgotten how incredibly painful it crashes. So I'm laying there on the tarmac. I'm like, dang, this is so painful. I don't need that anymore. But then I got myself up. I had still had to go to work, right? Because I said to do commentating. And then later that night, uh, my wife insisted on, let's go to the hospital. I said, look, honey, I'm pretty sure I've broken ribs and there's nothing he can do. 
There's no surgery possible. There's no taping possible. Just, just let it go. No, honey, I want you to be checked. So we went there. I said, uh, yes, sir. X-ray, three broken ribs. So now I have to take some painkillers and have to wait. I said, see, honey, I told you there's nothing they can do. So oh. I didn't even need to know. But yeah, three broken ribs. It's not killing you, but it's just really annoying because every move, even brushing your teeth hurts these days. Well, you know, maybe you should start a new hashtag, shut up ribs, because that is going to be bugging you for a while there, my friend. But, um, you know, how does that work over in Germany? Like if that happened in America, that you would be calling an injury lawyer and have a open and shut, you know, case to, to get compensation for that. How does it work over there in Germany? You just got up, dusted yourself off and went to work for the next five hours? Um, more or less. I just didn't have time to, you know, <laughs> do the big thing like with police and ambulance. And imagine the ambulance shows up. Oh, sir, I think we need to check your head as well. Please come. We check your head for concussions, da, 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 da. And then maybe they put me in your, some hospital said, now nah, you got to stay overnight here to watch uh, you. And like, now nah, I just don't have time for that. So we exchanged uh, contacts and phone numbers and off I went. Wow. Well, I had a, I had a much more, a much less eventful weekend, although it was a great weekend. Um, I did the, Ash, uh, the Belgian waffle ride Asheville, which is a hundred mile gravel race. And I had a plan. I was going to enjoy myself. I was not going to hurt myself. I was just going to ride it. And I had such a blast. And, you know, people probably wonder, like, what the heck are you still riding 100 miles on the gravel for? But today, I, I did it for a little bit of research because, you know, we have a great guest today that I'll get to a little bit later. And I just kind of wanted to see and feel what these guys felt. And I tell you, it's it's a great thing. Yenzi, when you come over here, we're going to take you out for some gravel and, and have a great time. But uh, the main reason why I did it was because today we have as our guest, Mr. Lawrence Tendam. So sit back and relax, listen to this fantastic interview, and just be prepared to learn. Okay, well, today we have another great guest, Mr. Lawrence Tendam. Lawrence, welcome to Bobby yeah. and Jens. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Man, I tell you, you know, our, our careers didn't really uh, cross so much. Uh, you started, what, pro in 2004, and I was out of the game in 2008. But um, to the people that don't know who Lawrence Tendam is, um, visualize a picture of a rider finishing the Tour de France looking like he just had, you know, come out of a triage <laughs> unit or something like that. Because Lawrence, man, you were so famous over here in the U.S. because that made oh, like that every, every single picture, every single like, oh, my gosh, these cyclists are so tough. Look at this guy finishing with his face all bandaged up. But tell us tell us the background of of. Of that of story, that <laughs> of that picture, yeah. So I was, I think it was in the Pyrenees, yeah. I'm sure it was in the Pyrenees, and it was, it was a really hard stage. Uh, I remember, I think it was uh, Stuart O'Grady, CSC team, CCC, 2000, it must be the 2011 Tour de France. I believe uh, 11, we were with uh, Leopard already. 
must have oh, been no, okay. Then a, then, no, 2010 I was not racing. I was still Rabobank. Maybe it was Leopard, but the Stewie was in Leopard too. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I remember I was it was the, the year also Yellow van Ennet won a stage, Hubert won a stage, so it must be 2011. Tor was world champion. Uh I I I was just so suffering on the climbs. And uh we 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 had a climb, we were on a down we hit a downhill, and you know when you hit a downhill and you're like cross-eyed. First corner is always the most dangerous corner because you're not focused yet. And for sure, I was not focused yet. You know, I remember I got a Fanta from Carlos Barredo, my teammate. And first corner, I just I just go straight, basically. And I go in the ditch. I go over the handlebars. And I hit actually with my face. I hit the, the rocks over there. And yeah, I was there sitting. And the first team car was there. Then the doctor came there. And there was just a lot of blood. But actually, it was just a small... Yeah, it was like a cut in my lip. And the doctor couldn't close the... It was like not a doctor from boxing, you know? Like when they know how to <laughs> how to close cuts. So I was fed up with it. I wanted to continue. So I said, just bend that something around it. So he, he started doing like this. And of course, I didn't know shit how I looked like, you know? So... Okay, I got bandaged stop, and I remember my team director was really pissed with me, like, oh, you have to get off the bike. And I was, I was like, I go to the finish, and then we'll see. You know, like, right now I feel be able, yeah, nobody wants to go off the bike in a Tour de France. And then I remember being in the Gruppetto, so the Gruppetto came to me because, uh, yeah, it took already 20 minutes or something. And uh, I, uh, all the people were, like, cheering, was in uh, in uh, obviously near Spain so the Spanish people and the bus people were there you know it's the best spectators in the in the Tour de France are when you're close to Spain and they're all cheering and then I pass and then it was quiet and then I heard all the time Ostia which means like <laughs> oh, oh oh and I was like oh man I look like I must look like you know like like shit and then uh, after the race I went straight to the hospital and they they yeah, basically was just like I think seven eight stitches and uh and i continued yeah that was the story but it was just a mistake of uh a mistake of me like not paying attention in the first corner of a downhill by being like cross-eyed and like too much suffering uphill in uh, to try to follow o'grady and probably also you yet <laughs> we did a few races together i remember yeah. that, my friend but hey you also Sometimes you made other people suffer. I mean, you had, you know, uh, top 10 finishes in the Tour de France, in the Vuelta España. So that's that's pretty good, man. That's like 10 times better than I, I ever was. So <laughs> yeah, what I, do you think I, what would I be the best day for you? Or what was your best the result? Best. The one you uh, liked the most? The one I liked the most is, uh, I think my ninth place in the Tour de France is really nice. Uh Uh, I got a win. So there was one guy always winning uh, the Caterham International in southern France, of uh, somewhere in France, in a shithole in the northern part. And the, the guy won it like six, how many times you five, won it? Five times. Five times. Like I remember because it was always like 7.30 in the morning start. And the guy I'm talking about, Jens, uh, has like six kids and they were all awake all night long and early in the morning. So he was the only pro rider awake already at that time. He told me always winning the morning stage. But I won a stage there, which is uh, like a win is always nice. And then in 2013, we had a big Tour de France with me and Bauke Mollema. 
uh, who, yeah, who in, in the Netherlands was like a, a bad period for cycling. And there was the Tour of Bau and Lau. And actually, it's still people in the Netherlands know me because of that. So that's also something I'm really proud of. Yeah. You, you made a transition, a very quick transition from the World Tour Peloton, and you were one of the original guys that said, wait a second, I don't want to race anymore, but I still want to ride my bike. And you started doing some of the ultra endurance events, the adventure cycling, the gravel scene. Uh, what was your main motivation there? Because I mean, after 16 years of being a pro, I think most of us wanted to take or did take some years away from the bike. Yeah. but. Yeah, what was your motivation there? Because I mean, yeah. obviously, that's a massive part of the sport now. Yeah, so so we just talked about my my main results, and and there was not a lot of wins. But to be honest, that was never my uh, the, the the thing. What drove me was never a win. The the thing what drove me was like uh, the bike was for me also a tool to to broaden my world and to discover new things. Uh, I was 17 years old and I was suddenly racing bikes in Denmark. And then I went to engine two of California in 2011. And you learned how to play me blackjack on the poker table. And we were in the casinos of Lake Tahoe. So it was always, for me, it was like I was exploring and also being with the boys, being with the boys on the bus. I, I always loved that being in hotels, being together with like a, a bunch of, of cowboys on the bikes, racing bikes. So that was something I really liked. And uh, I, I I knew like uh, training my body and getting better. That's also like like getting better, feeling that the body transforms into form. That's, that's a really nice feeling. You both know that. And what I didn't like anymore was risks, pressure, 80 race days a year of which like 60 or not be able to win a race when you're a domestique or a helper of, of, of a guy who wants to win. So I, I had my priorities straight and I knew like Gaffel is something that, that, that ticks all those boxes of exploring the world, being with the boys together. Tomorrow we bring out a movie about me and for example, Thomas Decker racing in Kenya, a bike race. You know, and and we raced a gravel race in Kenya, a four-day stage race. And I know Thomas since I was 17. The guy was 14 years old. And 25 years later, we're still racing bikes in Kenya just for the love of racing. And that's what, what the bike is for me is, is, is exactly that. It, it, it's the, the, the tool that brings me on, on, on a big journey in life. And 16 years where I was part of the pro peloton, which was a big journey. But also for now, I was like racing lead boats. Like you said, I did Unbound this year. I raced in Kenya with Thomas Decker on my team. We brought him there and we had fun. And all those things are like really nice in, in, in yeah, being 40 years old and still be able to, to, to race bikes, you know. And uh, how? What does your family say to that? <laughs> they go, don't they go? Hey, why don't you just stay home for us or with us uh, for a while? Or did they actually join you and travel together with you? The plan was that they would join me to the US uh, for in between Belgium Wafferite, which was July 18, and Let Boat, so Letville and Steamboat Gravel, which is. August 14, 15. So for a period of five weeks, we were traveling between San Diego and Colorado with a camper van and a road trip and visiting our friends in Santa Cruz and Truckee. But uh, yeah, COVID still made it impossible for them to travel into the US. So we had to postpone that. Uh, so basically one trip a year, they will join me 
and the others I will like my wife she's used to me being gone and she she arranges everything really nice over here so it's also something like a symbiotic system at the house that's once I'm gone it's also okay you know so we're not uh, she's not the wife who said like once I was done racing now you have to stay home and be there with me she said like you're the guy who wants to travel and who wants to see the world and I like to stay home maybe more. So it's okay like this. Yeah. You know, you you mentioned something funny there about, you know, when we were staying up in Lake Tahoe and um, Mm -hmm. I remember having a couple of discussions with you and you definitely seem like one of those guys that would, you know, rent an RV and just cruise around um, America. Jens even mentioned that back in the day. Like when I retire, I want to just rent an RV and just see, see all the United States. But you know, you mentioned, so, so you were here for, for five weeks, the Belgian waffle white ride down in San Diego, but uh, one of the most interesting events that I've ever heard of was the, the lead boat, which was yeah. the Leadville mountain bike race, 104 miles. And then the next morning you guys got up and did the steamboat gravel event, which was 144 miles on the gravel. <laughs> yeah. What? Tell us, I mean, now that I am so enthralled in the world of gravel riding, I mean, I love it. Um, got yeah. into it about two and a half years ago. Uh, George Cappy talked me into doing a, a buddy's birthday ride, um, Boyd's birthday ride. And ever since then, like I had a little bit of a, uh, I don't know about this because like I went out on the first ride, I had three you know, four, four spare tires. And I flatted five times and I'm like, man, <laughs> this, this, this is not for me, but like that event and your whole trip over here, tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it was actually something, uh, what came up last year in the COVID year. And then at first they wanted to, they, they wanted back then amount was still named dirty cancer. So they wanted to make dirty lead boat or something and then mount got out and they call it lead boat which is makes more sense because i think kansas is like a thousand miles away so uh i did let i did Leadville five years ago and i remember i don't know if you guys did events like that but i remember i came there straight from the tour de france straight from sea level three days of traveling with the kids i was like I had a big headache the last three hours of the race because of dehydration and altitude and being a flatlander on uh, on 10,000 feet. And I remember never do this again. Like this is it, you know, this was being in Leadville for me. And then maybe one year later or like a few months later, it starts to, to come already like, yeah, but maybe when I do next time I do altitude before or next time I do this, or maybe I have train more on a mountain bike because Back then, I didn't even know what a mountain bike was, you know. I just rode a bike they gave me, and the rear tire exploded, and it was suddenly all white stuff. And I was like, maybe like you on your first gaffer ride, like there's supposed to be like an inner tube, right? But there's all white stuff now. Like, what's happening? I didn't know what tubeless was. So I thought when I'm more prepared, I go back and uh, and race again. And then they they approached me for doing the whole thing you know and at the end i'm a gravel racer so i said why not i do i just do both and uh, it turned out pretty well for me last uh, last week yeah but it's it's really hard and next time i was thinking when i'm with it when i'm there with i, I today i was in a zoom with specialized and they asked me the same question like next time do you do lead boat again or just 
just steamboat and i was on the edge of again like i just steamboat like it's just too hard for me and Leadville was also disappointing because i got like i got 10 days of altitude before so i was a lot better prepared i rode my mountain bike before uh my last result was a win in kenya so i was like also self-confident and before i was second in unbound and i won another gravel race gravel locos so i was like okay and I was five minutes faster than five years ago. So for me, it was like, okay, <laughs> Leadville is just not the race for me. I was 25th. So I, had, I, I expected to be top 10 and I had hopes for the podium. And then I got a 25th place, you know. So uh, if you ask me, next time it's just uh, steamboat again because I'm, I'm ex- apparently I'm a better gravel racer than a mountain bike. You think uh, you just uh, feel better on a gravel bike because it's closer to the road bike, and that's yeah. what you, what what, what so, we are used to for the last twenty five years of our lives, right? Yeah, for me the problem is also the the I feel like a duck or something like the the pedals are wider, like like further apart from each other on a mountain bike, and I don't know. Bobby is 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 a coach who is interested in in such things. I think I think it's called the Q factor or something. Yes, so how, the Q factor. I feel I really feel that that uh, like when I'm on a mountain bike, I feel like I pedal differently compared to a gravel bike. So maybe that's the problem of me racing mountain bikes because I'm not getting I'm not used to it to, to ride it a lot, you know. So well, just that you finished uh, that because what there was only 42 men yeah. and what 14 <laughs> women that did the the actual official lead boat um, and. Man, more more power to you for doing that sort of stuff because I've recently just really gotten into it. And for me, it's That's more really nice, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it is great. I did an event this last weekend uh, here in uh, North Carolina, the, the Belgian Waffle Ride Asheville. Uh, Asheville. Oh, Ian won it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I and I mean, yeah. th- there's. You know, that that's another story. That's another podcast. But yeah, Ian Boswell. Wow. He's just turned out to be like, you know, the man of gravel. And you were there with him in uh, the Unbound and he yeah. outkicked you a little bit there. But like you two seem to be, uh, you know, the men for that sort of thing. Yeah, but, and the, uh, the thing is, if if I have to lose unbound to someone, then it's then uh, then it better be Ian because I really like the guy. He was also in Kenya racing the bike. He's really uh, involved in also in the, the Kenyan riders, getting them to Europe, getting them to uh, the US. So yeah, the guy is just he's a maniac on the bike, but also off the bike, he's such a nice person. So that's that's really nice to see. If you want to get more out of your free time. Sign up to Outside Plus for less than a dollar a week. You can get a hard copy of Valley News magazine, choose two books a year from VeloPress, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine and Backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and you make a good deal great. And now back to our chat with Lawrence. 
So talking about all these gravel races, we had uh, some sort of gravel slash endurance rider before. Um, Mr. Hayden from Great Britain, from Great Britain. Uh, James Mark, yeah. Yes. Mark, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever race with him? He told us the story that um, he just did beat you on the entrance to a national park or whatever that was, and you <laughs> couldn't go through at night. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Tell so us that's your the, side. Oh man, that's that's the thing. So last year was obviously not a lot of racing, and I don't. Yeah, like I, like I just told you. I don't need to race 80 days a year, but I like to feel the adrenaline of being in a race, having a number up, doing a final. And, and also, actually, this year it's better than the last five years in the World Tour because also now you're doing a final for the win, which is also a different, uh, different feeling in the body than just racing for yeah to get to the finish. And last year was no racing. So, and then there was suddenly a bike pack race. A friend called me. He said, in three weeks, I'm going to the Pyrenees to race a race called further. And I was like, okay, I'm in. And I didn't do any research before. Turns out to be the, it's called further for a reason. Turns out to be the most hard bike pack race existing in the world. I entered there. It was containing of six, 16 segments you had to do. And in between, you had to navigate yourself. So don't follow the lines. You had to navigate before. You had to prepare with the maps at home. It was like a, was like a nightmare, like a week long at night till 12 o'clock. You're preparing your travel in between the segments. I got lost there. So the first day we start, I'm in the lead. James is like, in my opinion, like, I'm like, is this the, like the big favorite? He seems like slow. He was riding a mountain bike with 38 front tooth ring. I was on my Gaffer 8, 48, in the downhill, like, whoa. So I take a lot of time on him. Then the first night, like 1 a.m., I, 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 I got lost. Basically, I got lost. I went onto the wrong track. And you know when you're in the mountains and you're on a track and then you see like your breadcrumbs like next to you, but it goes away from you like slowly, slowly. So you like after two kilometers, you realize, oh man, I'm really on the wrong track. So I started to turn around, couldn't find the track. So I, and I'm like, it's just a hundred meters, just a hundred meters. So how bad can it be? So I decided to slide down the mountain. But a hundred meters like... Hemelsbreeds, uh, we say. I don't know the English word. You know, uh, Jens Hemelsbreeds. So, like on the map, 100 meters, where you slide on your ass down a mountain, grabbing the trees in one hand and having your bike like this in the other hand. That's a whole lot of <laughs> that, that. That that's that's a long uh, that's a long stretch. So finally, I come down on that uh, on that uh, stretch, and then. Uh, Uh, then my rear uh, derriere was was off, you know, it was broken. So I had to change that with my headlamp. And right over there, the guy overpassed me, James Mark Hayden, who I thought was slow. And then I made another mistake with navigation. So I was like, okay, I go sleep. Like, it's enough. Like 2 p.m., it's enough. I go for, for power nap. So I, I do my mattress. I do my beefy. I do my uh, sleeping bag inside. I start to sleep starts to rain. I'm there in the middle of the fucking field, like raining, no cover. I'm like, I'm such an amateur. I wake up, I, I, I look to my phone, see the dots because you see the dot watching to see how far everybody is on the parkour. The guy is like, 
I don't know, 100 kilometers in front of me while I was sleeping, the guy just continued. I was like, now I understand what it takes, you know? So I tried to chase him. It was not possible. And then there was something like really dangerous stretches. You were not allowed to be before uh, on the stretch moving in between uh, 9 p.m. and 7 a.m. And the, and he just made it past that stretch. And I was stuck before. I couldn't make it. So I had to wait till 7 a.m. in the morning. And then... The guy was gone, but same as with Leadville, you know, five minutes, I was the last two days. So I was like 70 hours straight. I was like going from A to B. Like I had two naps in my sleeping bag at night. The one I was stuck in front of the night curfew and the one at the first night I just told you. And the last two days I was like, never again. Like this is so hard. Joao is our mutual friend for me and Jens. I phone him after the finish. I say, next time you take a rider, you first have to make him do this. And then you know if he's got the right, if he's got the grit to to continue and post. Like it was by far the hardest I've ever done. Like by far. In two weeks, I'm going to do the one in England. Like I, five minutes after the race, I was already, I'm going to do this better, this better. I spoke to James. Like he did, a, he'd, take a, he'd take all the food with him. He had no sleeping bag, no beefy. So all those pro tricks, I didn't know shit, you know. But right now I'm going to attempt my fur- uh, my second further. It's further England. It's starting, I think, September 15. And you can watch my dots. Because at the end, it's also... So it was really hard, but it's also something like a spiritual... Like you go so deep for three days. I spoke a lot with Carsten Krohn when he was, for example, doing ayahuasca. You don't need to do ayahuasca trips like that. If you do something as physical as that, you go so deep and uh, it's a really nice experience. I'm going to put on some light. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, Lawrence, if you can still hear us, um, yeah. is it just uh, the interest of you to push your limits or you just sometimes you just like to punish yourself? Yeah, I was I was also thinking about that lately, like. I think uh, uh, a lot of pros are like outliers in what they can do to their bodies or to themselves. Uh, it suddenly it hit me. I bikepacked with a lot of uh, normal people and they were like, like, I don't know, but when I put on my helmet at the coffee stop, when I'm with a bunch of fellow pros they know or, or former pros, in five minutes we leave. But when I'm with a bunch of like normal cyclists, they don't see that sign. They are like, <laughs> so you put on the helmet and you're like, okay. And when you leave, they still have to fill the bottle, maybe get another rain jacket, do stuff like that. Well, and then I did the same with Carsten Krohn and Bram Tonking. I did a bikepacking trip and all those like hidden signs with the helmet and And everything was like, it went so fluent. And then we got home. And normally when you do a trip like that with normal cyclists again, you have high fives, you have a beer, you have a hug. And then we came home and it was like, okay, Bram, you clean the bikes. Kasti, you start going uh, for groceries. I start to to chop uh, food. It was like, okay, let's continue. We didn't even stand still with what we accomplished. And then it hit me like, no, it's not the others who are crazy. It's actually... Me, Karsten and Bram were the crazy guys. Maybe Jens would fit in. Maybe Bobby would fit in. So somewhere in the pros, there's always something, I think, like 
they are a little bit crazy and where it comes from in the youth, uh, the punishment, like to punish yourself like you did in the tour. You, I was one spot in front of you where you crashed in that downhill. I think it was the Benar downhill. Yeah, something. yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was a good group, by the way. We had the yeah. yellow jersey. There, <laughs> there were all these all, always only good riders in that group. I remember uh, that. And then you and me, we were like the yeah. last two of the, of yeah. the group. So you crash and you finish like that. And if you maybe when I look back to myself crashing with that uh, with the mm-hmm. picture, the famous picture, back then, no, there was nothing in myself who thought about quitting. But when I look back now, I'm like. That was really maybe like if you look from a from a broader from a helicopter view, it would have been better to quit that tour and just go home and recover and do stuff like that. So I can see that now, but back then I was so driven somehow that that you didn't even consider quitting. And uh, where that comes from, I don't know. But I think a lot of pros have the same. You know, there are not a lot of pros who don't have that because somehow you have to punish yourself in order to be ready for a race, right? You have to train hard. You have yeah, to yeah. suffer in training. Otherwise, you're not ready. But see, Lawrence, I think we, we, we are on different passes now. Like I feel I squeezed everything out of my body until every yeah. cell of my body was just screaming, help, stop, stop. I don't want this anymore. Now I look at the bike, oh, no more suffering for me. <laughs> Man, I ride downhill yeah. like a grandpa. I like I ride uphill like a total beginner. I just go slow, man. I just go to next yeah. ice cream shop and back home. I left the suffering out yeah. of me, but I can yeah. still totally see the drive in you. But I you did uh, totally but you did M-Mount too, right? You did Sorry? M-Mount. You did um, you raced Dirty Cancer back then or yeah. M-Mount? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, back then I was still Dirty Cancer. I did the 200 miles. And I was proud. I just beat the sunlight. I finished 99 ah, okay. just in the top 100. <laughs> okay, okay. But um, it, it was interesting. It was good. But uh, um, yeah. It, and how, it, it, how is it with you then, Bobby? Because you live now close to Bobby, after, close to George or not? Yeah, George Hinkapi and Christian Vanneveld live in the same town. So yeah. when I moved back here in 2016, I was the least fit and the heaviest I'd ever been. Um, because I was working a lot, coaching, you know, you're just sitting in a car, eating sandwiches, drinking Cokes on the back of a motorcycle. And when I got here, I, I totally agree with you, Jens. Um, I, I didn't really want to ride my bike anymore because it just hurt because I was so unfit. But little by little, um, because George Hinkapi and his brother Rich have a, a, a Grand Fondo here. And he's like, hey, man, you got to start training for the, for the Grand Fondo. I'm like, I'm not going to ride my bike 80 miles ever again. Like, that's insane. But it was just peer pressure. And like you said earlier in the podcast, you know, just being with the boys, I think we all miss that part, right? But in order to be with the boys, you kind of got to train, keep up, got to lose a <laughs> weight, you got to keep up and, or else it's not, not fun. So for me, I went through definitely, you know, a good eight to 10 year period where I wasn't riding much. And it's just been this last, you know, four or five years. And now that, you know, gravel is included in our daily repertoire or weekly repertoire, it's, um, yeah, it's just a total new way. And are, you know, are you're, still you're turning... suffering? I, I, you try, you still, you try to make them suffer now sometimes when you feel good or no? Uh, every once in a while. Yeah. But I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I am more about participation and pleasure than placings and pain. 
I just want to ride my, I want to be fit enough to enjoy myself. I don't, I'm not competitive at all. You know, George, that's another story. We did this gravel ride and he tried to stay with the big boys and, um, cramped worse than he had ever, ever cramped before. And I finished with like two fingers in my nose, smiling and taking pictures with people. And he was just like in a, in a box, but you know, you've gone through, yeah, yeah. You, you, you talked about being, you know, an athlete and pushing yourself, but you have your own podcast. And, um, when I was doing a little bit of research, the pod, your podcast name is live, live slow and ride fast, yeah, but there was exactly. something there, a quote that I was, I just really wanted to 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 ask you about the quote was um, slow down, look around, live in the moment, enjoy the small things done well, less stuff, fewer distractions, less stress, save your energy for the bike so you can leave it all on the road. It's that simple. When did that switch? When did you get that philosophy versus the, hey, you know, I look like the mummy right now, but I'm going to yeah. finish the Tour de France no matter what, because I just finished reading this book called Essentialism, and that is basically the theme of the book: is slow down, okay. do less stuff better. Like exactly. I love that. So basically, I think when the the when the spark was there uh, back in 2015, uh, 2014, I was ninth in the Tour de France, and then in 2015, uh, you want to do better. Or I wanted to better. I was like thinking maybe I could do two top six, six stuff like that. So I trained more. I ate less. I got really skinny. Broke a few bones that year. Well, bit bad crashes. So I did. I remember counting backwards from the Champs Elysees. The, the hundred days before, I was ni- ninety days away from home, and the ten days I was home, probably I was grumpy because I was tired and hungry and stuff like that. And I wanted to perform in a tour, and there was a lot of pressure for myself on my shoulders. So that was actually a shit year. Like, and then in at the end of that year, in September, I decided with my wife, uh, I actually what we said in the beginning, you wanna I always wanted to rent a camper and travel for one year to the US. I said, okay, this is still the time. The kids are young. Let's go race for Jelly Belly or something. And then Joao, my manager, said, Oh, stop, stop. You can live in the US, but I'll find you a team in Europe to race for. So then I moved teams from Jumbo to uh, DSM now. And they let me race only Paris, Catalonia, and the Tour de France and the Amgen Tour. So minor program. I could live in the US. I raced in Santa, I lived in Santa Cruz and in Turkey and California. So the nicest city of California, if you ask me. But then I had to race Paris, and uh, Jens knows, and you know, Paris is not like a walk in the park. It's like far from a walk in the park. So I wanted to have some race fitness before. And I was thinking, uh, like, I'd do some crits, you know, like uh, the Sacramento crit, and there was the Aptos crit. And, but USA Cycling didn't allow me to, to, uh, to race criteriums because of having a pro license. And then Joao told me, the ma- my manager, there's also something called grasshoppers over here in Northern California. And I said, what is it? It's like off-road racing. And I was like, okay, I need race fitness. He arranged me a Pinarello bike, you know, stickers all over the place because I was still racing on Giant back then. And, uh, and I started there. And I remember we raced for 50 miles of balls off, like, up mountains, climbed gates, down the mountain. We did a river crossing, up a mountain again. 
It was really high level. That's what Joao warned me before. Ted King won it. Second got Levi Leipheimer, who was as fit as, as I remembered him from uh, the years before racing with him in the Tour de France when he was still racing for Quickstep. Third was Geoff Bush, That's a three-time Olympian Canadian mountain biker, I found out. And I was fourth. So the level is really high. So we come on the finish on top of a climb, Willow Creek. There's a big cooler full of IPAs. There's a table with uh, chips and Cokes and whatever, some prizes for the first guys. They were already sitting there, Levi drinking. Uh, Levi was on the water probably, but the rest was drinking beers and eating chips. And uh, I was like, fuck, this is it, man. You know, normally when we're in a world tour, You're in Paris, you've done three weeks together with 150 guys on the road. Actually, you're all buddies. Like, you have to take care of each other. You have to warn before before, uh, something dangerous on the road. You have to warn if there's a spectator on the road. And what do we do in Paris? We close our buses. We all have our own private party. Instead of having all those buses around in like a in a big circle of like 21 buses and having a big barbecue in, in the middle... That would be the best, right? So I was actually having that feeling over there in uh, somewhere in Santa Rosa at my first, it was old Cass Grasshopper race. And I was like, this is how racing supposed to be in, uh, in Europe. And that's also the approach I had that year because I was not, be- I, w- I was only for, like I said, Catalonia, Paris, and the Tour and Swiss. So maybe two months in Europe and the rest I was training in Santa Cruz with my buddies. I did the Giro ride, I did the Saturday ride. We rode up Highway 1. We did a six-hour ride. I had a six-pack of beer and, 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 and some tacos. And I still was, like, on a really good level. And that's where I was like, okay, life should, my cycling life has to, be, has to have more like this than before, you know, being away for 90 days and, and, and having all the pressure and having all the on me. I came home in, or we came home in 2017 because the kids had to go to school here, but... Then I created my own events uh, over here, the gravel events. It's also based on that grasshopper or the Grinduro races I did uh, as uh, off-road in 2016. And that's where we start to build the whole live slow, ride fast yeah, manifesto, like you just read, and the slogan. But I must admit, building a business, yeah, you did the same uh, with your coaching business. Sometimes it's it's not easy to live, live slow. So I'm also, it's also... You have to juggle a lot. And everybody, like, uh, Jens is a dad of six. He still has uh, also other obligations. He does commentary. He wants to ride his bike. He wants to be a good husband. So the Live Slow Ride Fast is also about the balance for everybody in life. And, uh, And then it's good to sometimes get not distracted too much by stuff and things you want to have. Instead of uh, sometimes it's better just to, to be on a bike or enjoy the small things and enjoy the good cup of coffee or a nice barbecue instead of wanting the big car or whatever, you know, just to keep up with your, uh, with your buddies. So, Lawrence, if we jump another 10 years into the future and your children standing in front of you go, hey, daddy, I like this cycling stuff. Would you actually tell him, yes, go for it? Or would you go, no, no, you better play soccer or tennis or stick with the rocket science? And if you say yes to cycling, which kind of cycling would you tell your children to go? Yeah, that's that's a that's a really that's a difficult question, yes, because um, of course you know how hard cycling is, 
And I don't know how, how you guys look to the first week of this year's Tour de France. Like, and then it was raining a lot. And then you saw the teenage stage. It was day nine. And I think seven or eight guys were outside time limits. I know the Mar, which is like a really good cyclist. We all know. Then you're like, oh man, it's so hard. You know, like, like it's, it's difficult to explain how hard it is to other people. But when I saw those faces, you were like, oh man, that's like hard. But then on the other side, when your kids go to you, how, how big is the chance that they have to go through all that hard stuff? If he just wants to enjoy himself on the bike, I would like to, to give him all the opportunities to, to, to explore what he likes. But I think at first, as a, as, as a father, or, or for example, my wife being next to the parkour, I think you would prefer them to go cyclocross or, uh, or maybe mountain bike or, or gravel racing because the road racing just seems so, so dangerous nowadays. So, uh, but, but if he wants to do road racing, I would, uh, I would have to accept it. But for now, they're still on soccer, both. So <laughs> I'm good. I don't have to dilemma so far. Yeah. This is just kind of funny that, you know, us three are sitting here talking about risk and it's so scary when, you know, we went through the exact same things. And I think that's the difference. And that's the reason why we're retired, right? Is we started to see the fear. And once you start to see the fear, man, just slow down, get an (laughs) e-bike if you have to, Yenzi, uh, get a gravel bike and just, just enjoy life. And yeah, we live like monks for long enough. Now it's time to just have fun, go out, participate, be ambassadors to the sport, have fun, get more people interested in it. And Lawrence, you're doing a hell of a job of that. And uh, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. We really appreciate have you coming on and uh, yeah, just catching up a little bit. Yeah, it was nice. And uh, next time I'm in South Carolina, we'll find a casino at Bobby. (laughs) <laughs> oh i think the last time i did that i was with you so yeah uh but i i remember that talking about exploration because that's an anecdote i remember it was the year we were in the engine two yens i don't know if you were there but then it got canceled because of snow oh, so yeah, we were yeah. already we're there for two Tahoe. yeah we were already there for two days waiting acclimating to the altitude of lake Tahoe, and then they and for me, it was like a no-brainer. Like, I'm here, you know. I don't want to stick to my hotel room for, 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 for hours. So I went to see down, and it was a casino hotel. So all the entertainment was out, you know. And then Bobby, Bobby was teaching me blackjack, I remember. And then I was also still together, with, I think, with Bobby and Baden on the poker table. Baden Cook, he was also the, the outgoing guy. But then you see the difference in between characters because also I had teammates I don't know who but who were who didn't dare to go to they were on the hotel room waiting for the whole day because the stage was cancelled and there was nothing to do well we were having fun and playing poker and I still remember that probably the only time I played like real poker in a casino in the US was with Bobby because there was a stage cancelled and that's the beautiful I I went to bed at 11 o'clock at night and I heard that you and Baden like you know basically woke up it's still in that same poker table so uh yeah uh don't tell my wife and my kids that i was doing that or my my director well, you, teach this, yeah? you, you just <laughs> had to teach us how to split cards and stuff like that oh, <laughs> good times good times <laughs> lawrence thanks a million for being our yeah. guest it was first of all good to see you again good to catch up and 
we did learn a lot of interesting things about you and your life and your projects. So thanks again a million times for being our guest tonight, Lawrence. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. And a huge thank you to Lawrence Tendam for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. Because if not, I know where you live. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shocked Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by my main man, Tim Moza. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. I gotta say, one of my favorite parts of training on Zwift is the community. Whether it's riding with new people you meet on the platform or riding with old teammates, the people that Zwift connects you with push you harder than you could ever push yourself, let alone when it's just you on the trainer, in your garage, or your pain cave somewhere. My next favorite part is the training. Training is a huge part of Zwift. There are literally hundreds of customizable training plans you can choose from. And every workout is an immersive experience that can take you from Zwift's world-class climbs to the streets of London, New York, and even to a new Japanese-inspired world. Those are just a few of the nine unique worlds you can explore. Many times, I find myself just riding around, checking out the sights and seeing new little Easter eggs they've hidden in the game. When I'm riding on one of the UCI championship courses or in the jungle on the gravel roads or inside a volcano, I'm just taking it all in. Time seems to fly by, but I still manage to get a great workout in every time. If you want to compete in races that put your training to the test and see if you're headed in the right direction, you can. There's a new event starting every five minutes, including massive group rides, races for every category, and time trials. Right now, you can join the Fun is Fast event series with training rides, races, and thousands of other riders from around the world to chase. It's really never been easier to find your fun training indoors. I love it. All you need to get started is a bike, a trainer, and the Zwift app. Get a free seven-day trial, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Zwift, where fun is fast.